What's up, mamas? It's Tanika Ray. I was a television host for 20 years before my entire life blew up when I had a baby. Shifting gears from red carpets to a gig called mom required a whole new game plan. The carefree, globe-trotting boss babe me was suddenly in search of a mommy tribe to help me navigate the inevitable fumbles and fails of raising a kid. Mama Stay with Tanika Ray is a sanctuary for the Mommy Collective, where we amplify our self-love and self-care, trade tips on raising conscious kids, help each other fine-tune our boundaries, and celebrate the highs while forgiving ourselves for the lows in the wild, 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 wild world of mommying AF. Welcome to Mama Stay with Tanika Ray. I'm super excited for this conversation today, only because of the way that it made me feel when we actually connected to record it. I got to tell you, I am a person who is super, super passionate about connecting with people, especially like-minded, intelligent, interesting people who have something to actually say. They sit at home, they process, they have a curated thought process. And I appreciate that. Well, I'm not going to take too much time with an intro other than to say happy, happy Mother's Day to all of the mothers out there who are in this dang game of raising people, (laughs) taking care of humans and also staying sane and loving all at the same time. Whatever you did and you planned to do on Mother's Day, I hope it was exactly what you wanted. It's funny because somebody posed the question, what does a mother want to do on Mother's Day? And like 67% said, I want to not have to take care of anybody. And then I saw on Instagram, for Mother's Day, I don't want to take care of anybody that's been in me or that's come out of me. And I giggled so hard because it's the truth. As much as it would be great to be pampered by your family, and God bless those of you that actually have a wonderful Mother's Day with your kids and your hubbies or wives or whatever. For me, I'm in that 67%. I just want to have me time. I want to celebrate being a mommy and have some me time. I actually told my daughter, who's like, well, I want to spend all day with you. I'm like, yes, we should spend all morning together and then let mommy have mommy time with herself. I don't know if she's going for it, but (laughs) I'll keep you posted. Here on Mama's Day, I sit down with incredible women who have had really exciting journeys. This next mom that I'm bringing to the mic, I got to tell you, I never met her before. A friend of mine who used to work with Deepak Chopra, I met her when I was interviewing Deepak Chopra. I'd interviewed him many times and I really, really adore and honor that man. He really was the beginning of my spiritual journey. And so when his publicist reached out and was like, I've got somebody I think would be great for your podcast, I just trusted her. I didn't ask any questions. I sent her my calendar and it was all set up. One day I'm looking because I have an actual, this is one of my greatest mommy hacks. I have a digital calendar in my kitchen for Nyla and I to both look at and make sure we have all of our appointments and events, et cetera, on the board. If you want to know what kind of board it is, please DM me or email me at 
mamastaywithtaniqueray at gmail.com. Okay, fast forward the story. So one day I'm sitting around and I look up at my board and I see just the name A. Marie. And I'm like, why does it say A. Marie on my calendar? That's bizarre. I, I haven't, only A. Marie I know is the artist from the 2000s with the long legs and the little dolphin shorts and the heels who sang songs like One Thing and Why Don't We Fall in Love. Like you get a vibe and energy just hearing the names of the songs. If, you know, you were a grown adult in the, in the late 90s, 2000s. And I immediately was like, that's the only A. Marie I know. Why is she on my calendar? That's, it can't be her. Then who is this person? Mind you, I've got Zoom meetings and meetings all the time and people adding themselves to my calendar. But I wasn't tripping. I was like, you know, when I get online with this person, I'll figure it out, you know, going with the flow. Well, I tune in for our appointed time and there she is. It is A. Marie, one thing, why don't we fall in love? And I'm like, score. Let's go, sis. We became fast friends. I really, really adore her. She's smart as a whip. She gets it. She's introspective like me. She's spiritual like me. She has incredible ideals. Now, we got together to promote her children's book dedicated to her son, River, called You Will Do Great Things. It's an adorable, beautifully illustrated book. But honey, when you connect with somebody and it's immediate and you just get each other, the conversation is rich, it's interesting, and it's all the things. So without further ado, I'm not going to make you wait any longer. Let's bring her to the mic, Amarie. Hollywood, the music biz, that's a dragon of its own. But when you start popping out babies, it tests you in ways you you could have never been prepared for. First of all, we're talking to Amory. Like, what is happening? The woman has like six feet long legs and heels (laughs) walking through the streets of New York City, singing beautiful songs, being fierce and fabulous in the early 2000s. And now you're a mom and you're writing children's books. Where did that bridge come from? Please break it down. (laughs) Well, you know, reading and writing is my first love. Like I was always reading and writing. Yeah, I read that you were an English major, right? Yeah, I was an English major. When I was a child, they were always asking, what's your favorite hobby? It's reading and writing. That's, that's, that's the favorite hobby. So for me, that was just, that's just what I do. You know what I mean? That's just, that's me. But I pursued music because that's, that's also very much me as well. But it was less of a transitioning shift changing and more of a returning to for me. And writing children's books, I always wanted to write children's books, but I knew Everyone's different, but I knew myself and I was like, I will know what to say when it's time. Like I have these cool concepts, I have these ideas, but I will know what I want to say when I actually experience it and it will come to me. And, you know, before that I was, you know, I've been writing for adults as well. So, you know, that's, can't talk about that yet because it's not announced yet, but you know, <laughs> but um, once I had River, there's so many things that even if I didn't think about that, I knew, you know, when I held him, I knew what I wanted to, I knew what I wanted to tell him regarding the broad strokes of life. Life is an amazing journey. It's going to be full of ups and downs, but we are here for you. You have the power of us around you, the love and power of your ancestors, a found family. You are good and you are capable. And 
is very important to me that before the world can do any of its knocking downs, because it's the hard knocks, that he is built up and built strong. And I think that's important for our kids. Girl, you said it. And that's what I have been sort of, and don't mind me because my daughter, I just got her out the house like three minutes before All we good. got hair and I had a slap makeup on. Hashtag mom life. I mean, how many times was it like, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. Well, I guess it's going to be a ponytail day. Girl. And my and I literally just got, you see, my hair is going to grow as this interview goes on because it's wet and it's- Oh, it's gorgeous already. Girl, it's just, it's just a chia pet. This is what we do. Oh, it's going to get bigger. That's amazing. Yes, it's huge. It's huge. So you said I, I look familiar. Let's go back there and then we'll, we'll track back where you were. So yes, I've been on television for 20 years. I was a hosting extra with Mario Lopez. There we go. Yes. So I've been on TV a long time. And so like you in the music industry, it's a very different animal. And I love that you said you came back to who you are. And automatically I hear Beyonce, find your way back. And that's exactly what I'm doing. I love people and their stories. I no longer care about being on a red carpet, asking who they're dating. Is it, I don't give a flying fart what people are doing in their personal lives. I'm about expansion. I want to literally do what I'm here for, which is to serve God, serve the light, spread the joy, manifest my greatest life. That's it. So if I'm not doing that work, I'm wasting my life. Okay. We are so here. You know, when I went into music, I never went into it because I wanted to do the whole like red carpet. Like, I'll be running from red carpet. I was like, ah, I don't even like taking pictures really. But like the red carpet and the photo shoots and the this and that. To me, that was always, this is the flip side that you have to do. So you get to create and have as many people hear your music as possible. To me, I got in it for the creation. Whenever I would find a, a situation where I felt constricted creatively or like, it's like, well, we're going to do this. I'm like, well, I'm not doing that. What am I doing this for? Like, I literally don't care about any of the other parts. I felt like I had a lot of perspective. Number one, I didn't come in as a teenager. I came in after college. Like I worked at Taco Bell. I worked at KFC. I, of my summer times, I worked as a bagger. Like I had a very quintessential American, quote unquote, you know, suburban military kid experience. I knew coming into the game that when I create music and people say they love you, they don't mean they love you. They don't know you. They love how you make them feel with your art. Don't take things personal. And when people don't like you, don't take that personal either. They don't hate you. It may be that they don't like your music, or maybe it's something about you that's rubbing them the wrong way because it's hitting against something that they have internalized on their own. But whatever it is, they don't know you from a stranger in the street. So don't get lost. And it was very important to me, I think, number one, to not get lost and to remember that this is something that I do is not who I am. I love creating music, like I said. Writing is probably the only creative thing that the only thing that I do, aside from like I'm not talking about spending time with family and you yeah. know things like that, but what I do for myself, it is probably the only thing that I'm not doing and thinking, when is this done? Because I need to get to I create music and I get lost in time. But when I'm writing, I'm not thinking, can this be done so I can get back to writing? Writing is a thing that I'm always trying to get back to. Right. That is who you are. This whole world of branding, I hate it because I am multifaceted, multi-talented. And like you, I got into TV because I knew I was supposed to be there, but I knew I wasn't going to be an actress. And most importantly, I liked connecting with people. 
That at my core is my favorite thing to do. Where are we alike? Where are we different? Let's talk about it. Let's figure out where where we can land on the same ideal or where we're different and we can agree to be different. I love dissecting humans and figuring out what makes them tick. It makes me feel connected when as a child, we're always going back to our trauma as children because that's how we lead our adulthood and that's how we parent, right? So I'm super aware of how I'm walking through the earth and, oh, that came from my mom saying this, that's making me an asshole here with my child. Do you know what I mean? It's I'm so hyper aware and I'm able to put things away, discard things. And I love that you're so focused on raising your son, River. For me, it's an everyday thing since she was born. It's okay. I need black women all over my house. So she sees reflection. That's easy. I need to make sure, because it's not if she has to experience some nonsense, it's when. And I want her to be prepared for whatever nonsense, microaggressions, overt obnoxiousness. She's going to be like, oh, that's that thing my mama told me about. And it's also going to be like, she knows who she is. So you've taken this opportunity to write a book to, to basically pour into your son. So it seems like you'll have 30 books in this collection, right? Yeah, there's there are more books on the way already. And because he re- I realized at that time, I was like, there's things that I want to tell him. There's a way that I want to tell him. And I it's also important to me that he sees himself reflected in the books and not just in a book that's about an issue, which are important. They are important books. But, but, but on the other hand, they are they can be basically... Hey, I know no one's not appreciating you because of this, but let me boost you. Hey, I know people don't like this, may not like this about you, but let me boost you. I'm like, let's not even get into the negative about anybody else first. And let me just pour into you and raise you up, strengthen you up, build you up before we even get into other people's opinions. When you think of the women of the revolution, the D.A.R., the women that took over textbooks and that's the textbooks we learned from. And they took slavery and made it um, volunteers or they were assistants or whatever. They were happy. The power of the word on paper, the power to leave a narrative that is different than the one that keeps telling us we're other. But it's like, how do you build up, shore up, prepare while also, though, not walking them into being like, I'm a victim or I'm, is the world stuck against me? So it's like, no, 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 no. I don't want you to even start thinking that because I'm all for people getting educated, but we have to be very sure when we're presenting these ideas to our black and brown kids that they are not suffering from their self-esteem getting hit so that someone else can be educated about something. Do you understand what I'm saying? A hundred thousand percent. The flip side of this coin is what the white people are fighting so that their kids don't feel guilt for their ancestors being violent, murdering, racist, fascist, elitist. I mean, there's so many awful Mm -hmm, things mm -hmm. on that side. And that's what they're fighting to not have in the books. And to be fair, I don't want them to feel guilty. Look, I've been around some white friends and I'm like, listen, you need to chill. Calm down. Like I... Yes, I could I, because they start the self-flagellation. And I'm like, it's a lot of white guilt, girl. I can't take it. 
And I loved that book. I love the drawings were so beautiful. My daughter, we read it this morning, actually. And I love the message. You're biracial. You put all of your cultures in the book visually. I love that you didn't necessarily have to make a point of it, but kids will see themselves. I really just wanted him to see that. You know, our family is, we, we're we biracial. So our family, I have, I have cousins who are, you know, when you say full black, when we go down into race and all that, right? What is it really when you go? But, you know, for lack of better terms, who are black. And I have cousins who are Korean. And I have cousins who are Korean. They're Eurasian because they're Korean and their dad is white. Our family also has people who are black and white, kids who are black and white because sister-in-law is white. There's so many different ways that we look. And I love when people say that we have strength and diversity because we do, but also sometimes things can get a little smoothed over and sugarcoated and people don't really understand um, that there are real issues because it's really easy to just say like, see, we're all just getting on. It's like, yeah, but those those issues still do exist. You know, when people say like um, one boat, a tie lifts all boats and then we see a lot of colorism in Hollywood. And it's like, see all the white people make it. It's like, yeah, when you look and but look at the, the colorism though, especially when you see the discrepancy between men and women, actors, you know, male actors and, and female actors. You see like, I'm like, if you, it's changed now, but there was a point in time where I was like, if you were someone who didn't know African-American culture slash Hollywood and all the movies and entertainment coming out of the United States, and you were completely in a homogenous culture that's not that, you might think, I see that African-American men come in many different shades, but African-American women kind of are this color or lighter. You would just not even know if you were just basing it on that. So you can say, yes, there are things that help, but there's colors, there's all these layers. What I've personally come to is that human beings in general are tribal. We are us. We believe this or we look like that or we do these things and they are them. And that is on a very primal, very instinctive level. And throughout history, it will rear its head in very big ways, whether it's an extreme racial injustice, injustice against you know women usually. But it will come. And so what we have to do is recognize that. And in this moment, I feel like there's like a very big reckoning and it's important for us to have. And it's like a breath of fresh air because you almost forget like when it wasn't like that. I do believe that because in places where everybody's blonde, there's still somebody that's what, well, you got brown eyes or you've got green eyes. Yes. Still going to be discrimination because that's might be at the core of human nature as well which is maybe that's for survival like every other animal but you're on the right podcast because I just recorded an episode two days ago where I went on this thing it was a solo episode because I really wanted to get people to hear this I said the same thing people just want to feel like they're with family they want to connect with people that feel like themselves we really like to just see ourselves reflected so even if we God, that 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 fucking black guy that stole quarterback for me in high school never gets over it he's bitter he's immature then he finds friends that also hate the black guy cuz he stole his girlfriend or he hates the black guy why they think they're so special then he finds more friends and then they oh you know what i found a whole group of them down there mm-hmm. they they wear white robes and we burn stuff and we have a ritual together wow now they're in the kkk they just want to find their tribal home 
It's like higher learning and how Michael Rappaport's character got like caught up. Yes, exactly. It's so easy. The same thing goes for the left with the right. Because once you get a bunch of people to become us and them, we believe this, they are wrong, and hence a danger to us in society, anything can happen. People just want to be led. That's what I've learned in the last three years. You took the words out of my mouth. When I look at the history, just even just specifically of African-Americans with the Atlanta slave trade, and I don't always like to just go there because I I feel like one of the problems is that people forget, oh, we've created civilizations for tens upon that tens of thousands of years, but all right, we'll just keep it super recent in this location. It's amazing how we not only survive, but thrive considering all that has been set upon us, but also we're still human too. How did you, because my niece is going through this at age 16, half Chinese, half black. How do you decide or discover what you are? Because you could have very well gone, you know what? I identify mostly with my Korean side. I'm a Korean woman. I think when it comes to identity, it really depends on where you're raised and who you're raised around. You just take in that cultural, wherever you are. So if I grew up in Korea and I was only in Korea all the time, I I could have been like, I'm a Korean woman who's also, you know, part black, but I'm really Korean. But I also think a lot of it has to do with how you look because so much of it is not just how you look. I mean, how you feel, but how people perceive you and then treat you. And so, you know what I mean? And I think that's what a lot of times people who are black or part of the diaspora and they come to the United States and they kind of get lumped in with African-Americans, why there's that resistance. And they they come from the islands and they're like, but I'm not black, meaning I'm not African-American. It took me a long time to understand that and to not feel a way about that. But I understood. I was like, you know what? It's true. So for me, I've always felt like I'm Korean and I'm black. I wouldn't prefer to be only one and not the other. And we were talking about being mixed. And I was like, I can understand as a mixed person, certain privileges. I don't even like to use that word all the time because I feel like it's so done. It's done so much. It's all relative. I mean, but also I was like, all right, as a person who's black and Korean, I'm black and I'm Korean. But also there's certain things that Black people go through that I may not still experience the same way as, say, my dad, who is a man, who is Black, who is dark-skinned Black. There's just there's just certain things, you know what I mean? So I can see how I could look at, say, an actress on television, and she may get an Oscar, or get a lot of accolades, and say, wow, this is great. This is awesome. We never see us on the covers. And I'm like clapping and I'm just super excited with the best of them. But then I'm also like, yeah, this is great. But I still not really helping with the colorism issue. If the actress, because there's still a lot of actresses who are really dark skinned. And this, this is great. But let's not be fooled into thinking that problem solved representation. I'm like, no. And that's coming from someone who, who, who is mixed. So I feel like sometimes it's important to like step out of ourselves and our own experiences and identity and and be able to see things for what they are. Like when people say, oh, well, if you know you you are mixed, that means that you don't have hatred for this group or that group. Say, for instance, if I were black and white. Oh, well, I guess that means that it's like, no, on one hand, if, if I were black and white, I would understand different sides. But I could also easily be lulled into complacency, thinking that there's no real problem. No, everyone just see on an individual level we love and not see the systemic issues that exist. Sometimes in one way, being all mixed up and doing the whole separating who gets into the house and who doesn't 
yes, we all experienced certain things, but it also caused division because certain people were appreciating certain benefits and could say, well, that's not really my problem. No, that, that lasts until today. That literally the remnants of that, because they got better food, they had better conditions, the people that were in the house. So it automatically built a, a, a resentment up between the two parties, right? But it goes back to, again, human beings. The way we're educated, the commercials we see, and please understand the news. I worked in news, which is why I don't care to, not to work in it now. It's corporate media too, so much of it, right? It could be local. If a black man stole gum from a 7-Eleven and it's a slow news day, they will show that black man 12 times. If a white man murders 17 people and is still on the loose, they'll find a happy, oh, such a nice guy. That in itself is telling us, even on a white man's worst day, still a good guy. And a black man stole some gum because his breath was funky. He's the worst in the world. The narrative, the grace that people give. And but you know what it goes back to? It goes back to tribalism, too. I'm sure that there is an intersection with white supremacy. Because I was going to say, I think people are predisposed to feeling more empathy for those who look like them. However they may look. If they look like them. If they look like them, but then you add a layer of white supremacy, you could also say people are also indoctrinated or just wired because of all the messages from birth to empathize more too with a white person, even if they don't look like them. Because mm-hmm. we were talking about banning books early and I, I'm almost like a free speech absolutist. So I didn't even want Trump off Twitter because I don't believe in banning free speech. I was like, I'm a hate listening to it, but for the principle of the matter, so, you know, yes, you do have a lot of people on the right banning books from schools and things that things people need to know about. But I also see the left trying to ban books off of Amazon, like let people find the information they want to read. <laughs> let the books be out there. All the books. Let's be honest. What if this asshole in Florida is like, oh, no, too woke. This book's got to go. This you will do great things with this beautiful half. <laughs> is this daddy black? His mom is like me, like Korean and black. And his dad is black. So he is a quarter Korean <laughs> and three quarters black. What if that the Satan is like too woke <laughs> to your beautiful little book? What do you do? I mean, the thing, unfortunately, is that, like I said, I believe in all the information being out there. So to me, book banning just doesn't make sense in general. I don't care if it's, you know, you're trying to block history, historical figures, things that you may not agree with regarding sexuality and all that, things people may not agree with politically, quote unquote, misinformation slash disinformation. I don't buy none of that. To me, I don't need any of you telling me what I need to find out because I will find out the knowledge that I need for myself. And that's whether it's the left or the right banning, because both are into banning, unfortunately. It's just different things. We exist in this time and it feels very real to us and very almost eternal because it's all we know. But if we were to like, step out of ourselves and we would look at how we look at history, which is like 3,000, 4,000 year time span, 400, 500 years is a blip. It's not very long at all. I was like, how curious is it that, and I used to think of this when I would look at old like Harlem like images of debutantes and, and balls and those kind of things, black, black balls, which I liked. But at the same time, this other side where I was like, how curious is it 
that a group of people who have thousands of years of history in a place were abducted, human trafficked to another place. And they stayed there, kept the names, kept the names of their captors, and then would do the society balls and stuff, almost imitating the rituals of their captors. That's very curious to me. And so when I would look at some of those pictures, sometimes I would, initially I was like, oh, look at us, we were thriving. And then when I started thinking more deeply, I was like, I'm saddened by this because what I see is an imitation of the the culture, the people who captured you. And, and But then I was like, but well, what are we supposed to do? Culture is just where we are. You can be a Caucasian kid raised in the hood. You can be a Caucasian kid raised by, by a family that's black and maybe middle class, but they're black. I say maybe because sometimes, depending on where you are, middle class or rich, uh, wealthy, you will be exposed to other elements and culture too. So you're, it's a little bit different. But I'm trying to say like a person who's white and just like very immersed in black culture. Are you less black? Just because of your ethnicity, but this is where you were born and raised. Then say someone who's black that was raised in a very, very wealthy, very white area. Who has more of the culture? Ooh, well, that's a really good question. Right? Who has more of the culture? Well, Amory, I think maybe we are supposed to collab on something. I really do. I'm like having a hit. I'm very, look, I'm getting a, a goosebumps. Like, <laughs> that's God. Like we, we can figure God. something out. And I don't, and I don't say any of this to say, I know, have the answers. I don't I know. Really, I'm just asking the question. No, no the question is, I'm telling you right now, the question is what is black? Well, one of my quick answers to that one was what we call black and what we probably have to get out of and, and figure out comes from Southern culture and usually like poor Southern culture because that's where we were. That's what, that's all we had and we're given. And then as we left, we maintained it. So you can be in the North in New York and be like, I ain't doing this, but that's very Southern. But A. Marie, language is powerful. And what we know now, and I'm sure you know, knowing Deepak, is that words are casting spells. So same way we say, and that, mind you, We're living in a culture, and if you look up Black in the dictionary, you're a wordsmith, everything negative, everything Black tax, Black this, Mm -hmm. everything is negative. Mm -hmm. This is a culture that has been documented, documented, not created, documented by white people because we weren't allowed to write, we weren't allowed to read, we weren't allowed to print books, we weren't allowed to do anything. And still thrive. And you're talking about people who have built civilizations, yes. been ahead in astronomy and mathematics, yes. had first universities. That's why we, we it's a, that's a trial and a tribulation that we've been through. But it is it is a trial and tribulation, one of many. But that is not all of who we are. And that goes back to the question of what is black? I, I mean, what is black? Why are we holding it? on to this word? I know that we've remixed it, which is what we do. We remix these words. We claim it. We put a new funk on it. But at the end of the day, it's still a word 3,000 years from now that will be nothing but negative. So what are we? What are we? Truly, are we African-American or are we American-Africans? Which one is it? A similar conversation I had to Stephen Graham Jones when I asked him, what do you prefer that I say? Do you prefer I say indigenous? And he said, you can say Indian. He's like, because that's all I grew up feeling like. And I feel like, I feel like in a way people say like we're owning that now and we feel like we we own it. But he was like, but I also kind of feel like that's 
Like some people prefer to say American Indian or Indian American for what you're saying. And I don't know, because like a girlfriend of mine, she is truly African-American. Her family is African or Nigerian and she's African-American. But that's not us. It's not. But then I'm like, but but this is where we come from, though, right? Like, why why is our skin brown and, and the deepest hues? Like, it is a legacy that carries through us. And part of me loves to hold on to that because I'm like, Africa is the heart. It's the heart of human civilization. And I don't I don't want to let that go. Oh, OK. OK. I love that. But I but I'm also someone who actually did not like to use the term African-American several years ago because it was like, wait, I am American. If anyone's going to be American, anything it's us. There you go. But the diaspora and our connection and our legacy and who we are. If you pluck a fish out of the water, is it no longer a fish because you put it in your aquarium? Is it no longer an ocean animal, an animal from the ocean? Get it. But we don't have a homeland. So it's like everybody else, you know, I've had really uh, annoying conversations with my Jewish friends like, but we're Jewish. We have like all this stuff happening. I'm like, not every day. Is there a Jewish person laying dead on the streets of America every day? Please don't talk to me about that. But they also can go back to Israel as their homeland. What is our homeland? Homeland is a space where it's, it's a reflection of who you are. Well, America isn't that. So we are orphans in a stolen land with no identity and no rituals, except for the ones that we've borrowed, like you've already said, which is why I started creating this event for moms and daughters. I haven't done uh, moms and sons or dads yet. I'm working on it called Brown Skin Pearls, where they learn that moms pour into their daughters. They get to see how beautiful they are. We do the drums. We do manifestations. We do despacho ceremonies. That baby, though there's nothing that we do that is truly ours, let's start something for us that allows us to have a level up. Why can't our culture, even though we're made up of all different kinds of things, we can't keep just celebrating Christmas, Easter, St. Patty's Day, which is thrown down our baby's throats. Those don't really reflect us. So as an orphan culture, we've got to just stop begging for a seat at the table and create our own experiences that serve us. Now, how do you feel? Because I feel you. I think that's the conundrum that we're in as a people. We have to remember, too, that this is very new. You know, it's kind of like, well, we had thousands of years and then all of a sudden, boop. Okay, now we have to figure it out. And I was like, you know, at the very least, you have, you've had people who've experienced all kinds of confusion and and being stolen from their lands. But they still knew who they were, and they still had their names. And see, having language, that they had, away, their, they had their, their language, language. The language and and beliefs core. But that's why I keep saying for the everything that we've been through, it is amazing that we not only survive but thrive. I am a Marie. I'm having a human experience and I create and I love. Perfect. I'm so grateful for this moment. I love that we got to meet. Let's make sure we stay in touch. The collective is where we can lean on that. We don't have to have this unicorn. I'm conscious experience by ourselves that there are people popping up that believe the way that we do. I used to think I was alone. And now I have a conversation with you and I'm like, see, there's others. And so we're so alike. We're so alike. There's others. We need to now not be solo, what do they say, cowboys or whatever they call it. And yeah, under- lone rangers or something. Lone rangers. That's what it is. 
And understand there's so much power in the collective. Thanks for hanging out, Mama. I know how little time we have in our day to honor ourselves, and I'm just thrilled to be a part of it. Make sure you click like, rate, and subscribe. I'd love to hear what you think about today's show and what you want to hear going forward. Remember, mommying is a gift, and you're doing a kick-ass job. So, woosah and mama stay.